Well, it's good to be back with you and good to be back in the book of Acts. We're coming to the end, so hang in there. A few more weeks, we'll be done with this book. Um, but we're talking about this thing called the church. What does it look like in the New Testament? So I want to look, we're looking at chapter 19 this morning, another incident in Paul's life. Uh, you can find that on page 928 of your few Bibles, but we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses about something that happened there in his life. But as I was thinking about our time together, I was reminded of uh, a trip that Bev and I took years ago for our, one of our anniversaries. We actually went to England and um, had some very close friends we met in seminary who live in Oxford. That's pretty fancy, right? And um, so we wanted to milk the friendship. I mean, we wanted to be with them. <laughs> and so they invited us to come over there, celebrate our anniversary <clears throat> in England and in Oxford. Um, it was really, it was a blast. It was so much fun for me personally, as well as Bev and I. I, I quickly fell in love with, with the trappings of the British life, you know, the tea and the scones and all that fancy stuff. And here we are in Oxford. It's like a movie set. I mean, I just couldn't believe you're walking through centuries and centuries in these buildings. And it was, it was overwhelming. It was so exciting. And it was so exciting for me to be a part of that, that I, I even learned the language of this new culture. <laughs> And I got so excited about learning that language until my friend Charles pulled me aside one day and said, Jerry, <laughs> um, why are you trying to speak with a Cockney accent all the time? And even that is not very good at all. Please stop. <laughs> You're almost embarrassing us, that kind of thing. Even though my motives might have been right uh, and... and I wanted to have good results. It was more embarrassing than anything. I had the outward vestiges, but something was still missing. And if I was honest with myself, I knew I could never really fit in because I wasn't born there. I didn't really know that whole thing, but I wanted to pretend that I could. That was fun. You know, in the same way, our text this morning, I think, will show us that at times, no matter how much we might try to make something work spiritually, there really needs to be something outside of ourselves to really make it work. I think that's especially true when it comes to conversion or becoming a Christian. Let's see what Paul was addressing here in, in chapter 19, the first 10 verses, as he encountered people who had heard about this good news but didn't really know it. Hear now the word of the Lord, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 19. And it happened while, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through, in, through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there, that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months 
spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. So we want to look at this and understanding a number of things, but the idea of conversion or coming to Christ, really being a Christian, it's not the result of, of wishful thinking, but it's rather a permanent change that is accomplished by God the Holy Spirit. I want you to see here that becoming a Christian is not just acclimating to a culture. It's really being changed from the inside out by the Spirit of God himself. In this book of Acts that we've been studying, it really is a beautiful picture of the history of the church in the first century. And it begins, if you remember, the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 1 began with the ascension of Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead, came back and talked to disciples, and finally went away into heaven, ascended. They watched him leave. But then we see also in the book of Acts the outpouring of God's Spirit at Pentecost upon all nations. In most Bibles, if you look at the heading of the book of Acts, in most Bibles, the title given is the Acts of the Apostles. And that's correct. It really is a a picture of what the apostles did. But in another sense, you could also title this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because the Spirit of God is all over the place in the book of Acts, doing mighty things. And if you look at this book through the lens of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I think you come away with an even greater appreciation of the power and the love of God in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Paul himself, he was on a mission, wasn't he? His passion in life, following his own conversion, was twofold. Simply this. One, it was to tell anyone he could could, about the love of Jesus, and two, to start as many churches as possible, in as many places as possible. Paul would spend the rest of his life in this new traveling adventure in order to proclaim and teach God's word and to show Jesus as the fulfillment of everything. That sounds like a fanatic, doesn't it? (laughs) Is that all you're about, (laughs) this Jesus stuff? He spent his life doing that. Yes, in some ways, but thanks be to God for this fanatic who in many ways was the most influential Christian in all of the history of the early church of Christ. He did so much. Now, the moral of the story is not that we all have to run out and try to be like Paul. That's what I'm not trying to get you to do here. Rather, I want you to see that we are to live our lives out of the same motivation. And that motivation was primarily in the fact that our lives have been converted. That means radically changed. God, by his Holy Spirit, has saved us and changed us forever. 
Jesus would give his life as a sacrifice and he would literally change us from the inside out. What does it mean to be converted? What do you and I believe about the gospel, about Jesus? So what is the greatest motivation in living the Christian life? Friends, whether you've been a Christian for most of your life or or a new believer, we must never lose sight of the fact of what Jesus has done in saving us and converting us. Conversion, it's not something you move on from, but it's rather something you build on. You don't say, okay, I'm, I'm converted, got that over with, I'll see you around. No, it's something that, that affects you for the rest of your life, and you build on that experience, you build on that understanding. So let's look at this passage to understand what conversion is and what it produces in those who have been touched by the Spirit of God. I want to do it by simply unpacking two simple statements, two-point sermon. So hang with me. It doesn't take much to listen to. Two things I want you to remember. First of all, conversion is clear. When somebody is converted, it's a clear understanding. And two, conversion is daily. Conversion is clear, and conversion is daily. Now, Paul's interaction with these 12 disciples, I think, is a good example of making clear what conversion or becoming a Christian means. That's the essence of the New Testament church. We, they wanted to see people touched by the Spirit of God, their eyes open to Jesus, and giving their lives to him. Ephesus, as Paul came to, Ephesus was an important city. And Paul, as you know, has been there before and was now returning again. He had probably heard, through others, Paul probably heard that there were some who had been affected by John the Baptist's message of the coming Messiah. You remember John the Baptist. What was his purpose? I want to tell you that there's somebody else coming who you've all been waiting for. It is the Messiah, Jesus. So get ready for him. So John's purpose was to prepare. He came to, he came to them wanting to make clear who this Messiah was and what it meant to believe in him. And Paul makes things clear in verses 2 through 4, doesn't he? Look at that. He asks two questions with, and gave clear answers. Paul just asked them a couple questions. Paul himself, being a Jew... And in all probability, these disciples were as well, perhaps, Jews, that, that he knew some of the issues they were dealing with in their spiritual search. So his questions weren't antagonistic, like to get on your nerves and mess you up. They were simple questions. They were clear. Verse 2, look what he says. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Their response was quite interesting, wasn't it? No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, Paul, first thing he says is, hey, do you guys you understand the Holy Spirit? Did you get the Holy Spirit here? I have no idea what you're talking about, Paul. We heard about John the Baptist telling us to get ready. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is. Now, that may seem on the surface like that's a strange response. How could they not know? One explanation a commentary gives, which is interesting, is this, that the Jews, they knew 
from their history, the history of redemption of the Jewish people, that nation. They knew from their history that after the death of the prophets, God had removed his spirit from their midst. They knew at the end of the prophecy of Malachi, I'm done speaking. I will speak to you no more. I am taking my spirit. But there will be a day, didn't Joel say it? There will be a day when I'll pour out my spirit. It will come again. So these Jews weren't just responding weirdly. They were thinking, wow, is he talking about that same spirit that left our nation and now is promising to come back? They hadn't heard that the spirit had returned. I want you to notice on a kind of a side note here about Paul's style when he approached them and talked to them about the gospel, about Jesus. Paul didn't flip out in response to them like, you stupid people, don't you get it? What did he do? He accepted them where they were in their pilgrimage. He wasn't trying to immediately change them. I think it's something for you and I as Christians to remember when we're witnessing or talking to others. You know, it's amazing how far you can get if you simply ask clear and sensitive questions. That's a good question you ask. Why do you think that? Rather than, that's a pretty stupid way to ask a question. You'll never know God by thinking that way. Isn't it more powerful to meet people where they are? Look what Paul did. But Paul's next question was to find out more clearly where their faith was, and in particular, what they believed. Again, side note, that's why the Apostles' Creed is so critical. What do you believe? What do you believe? Biblically, baptism is a sacrament of belief. So they declared, we've been baptized into John's baptism. And in verse 4, he went on in verse 4 to explain that John's baptism, John's baptism was one of repentance and preparation. But Paul said it was only complete in Jesus, not John. He wanted them to know, yes, you are right to be baptized in repentance and preparation, but there's much more to it than that. And when they got that, then it happened. The Spirit of God sealed their hearts when they put their faith and trust in Jesus. They got it right with John the Baptist. Let's not make light of that. They got it right. John was warning them, unless you repent and anticipate and look to the Messiah, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Oh, yes, John, we want to be baptized in that repentance. But we see... They had sorrow. Think about it. Repentance means they had sorrow for their sin. They confessed their sin. They turned from it. We've got that right. We are convicted. Paul is saying that's not enough. And they knew it. We just can't make ourselves right. Even when we feel sorrow and confession, there is something more. And Paul says, yes, it's Jesus. (laughs) You put your faith in him. Paul made it clear by comparing John and Jesus. I hope you saw that. He wasn't criticizing John. He was comparing and showing the purpose. He made it clear 
that John was merely preparing the way. I think one commentator described it pretty well. He says this, quote, John's baptism was the porch which you were to pass through, not the house you were to rest in. John's baptism is the porch. You step up onto the house. This is the entrance. This is the way. But this is not the end. This is not the rest. Jesus, when I go in that door and I'm home, I rest in Jesus, not in John. Friends, what about you? What what do you believe? Is your hope in your sorrow and your repentance? Or is it in Jesus alone? God says, I want you to see that I have paid it all. Your sorrow and repentance, good though it is, is not sufficient. My son has paid it all. Your trust must be in him alone, not in your sorrow. You know, we also see that conversion is it's not only clear in that comparison and our need to trust in Christ, but it's also daily, isn't it? Let me hopefully state the obvious right here. <laughs> you don't get converted daily, but you must live out your conversion daily. You are converted one time by God's spirit when your eyes are open to Jesus, but then the rest of your life is living out that conversion on a daily basis. Look again at what happened to these young believers, and I hope you can follow with this in spirit as well. These young believers who were sealed by God's spirit, they got it, not by themselves, but when Paul said it's about the spirit of God opening your eyes to Jesus, and when the spirit of God opened their eyes, they got it. But look at what happened. The rest of the verses, verses 8 through 10, this shows what? It shows how these disciples, what did they do? They watched, they listened, and they learned what it meant to walk in the truth of Christ. When you were converted, I'm not saying you have to be some giant spiritual person, but when God gets a hold of your life and changes you, what do you start thinking about? What do you start wanting to read? What do you want to start seeing? What is this all about? <laughs> How do I grow in this? This is something that they wanted. And they followed Paul and I hope you saw, too, one of the phrases, as Paul spoke boldly in the temple. For three months, think about it, he stood in the temple with these non-believers, these Jews, and explained to them daily about Jesus. Then when he got kicked out, he went to a local lecture hall, and for two years, he taught the things of God to all who would listen. And I think that last verse is a pretty rich picture. He taught it so much that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles. Think about it. People who were somewhat hungry, people who were being touched by God's spirit said, I think I want to hear about this. Put yourself in the place of these disciples. Something significant happened to them, and they wanted to understand not just that moment, but for the rest of their lives, every day. What does this mean? I believe this, but, but what does it mean to really be changed by Jesus Christ, by his spirit? What does that mean? I, I want to hang around with people who seem to know that. I want to watch 
listen, and learn. And they did that every day by being instructed and also by interacting. Friends, the Christian life, hear me, and you know this, but I have to remind you, the Christian life is not just sitting down and listening. It's also about talking and thinking about what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. If you limit it to cute little religious experiences like going to church or a Bible study and you don't see that God is, he wants everything about you, then you're still not going to get it. You're not going to understand. i got to be thinking about Jesus. I want to understand who he is in every place, not, my, just, not just my religious experience. But when I go to work or school or home, what does it mean to know God and to follow Jesus? In a real sense, you and I as professing Christians, in a real sense, we should, shouldn't we? We should start each day remembering what we believe and why. Why do you believe, what do you believe each day? Do you believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? That he has loved you, forgiven you, never ever going to leave? Do you believe that? Or do your sins and your circumstances so enslave you that your conversion seems like a distant memory. I'm so messed up. Life is so messed up. That was nice back then, but it's a mess now. That's not what the, the gospel's all about. You, you fight that fight. You live that day, not in your sorrow, but in your salvation, that Jesus paid it all. Paul didn't want these believers, or any of us for that matter, to forget what Jesus had done for them. We must always build on our conversion, not move on from it. And that would be a major theme in Paul's ministry to Christians. And I think no more clearly stated than in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. This is a good memory verse, by the way, when he said this. Listen to what Paul said about you and me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What does it mean to live the Christian life? There's a story of a, a young college student who was, he was struggling with his own standing before God, wondering if he really was converted or not. Am I really a Christian or not? He even went to an evangelistic service where the preacher asked if anyone wanted to come forward to give their lives to Jesus, come down to the altar, come down to the front of the church. This young boy went forward, and after an intense prayer by the minister, he looked up tearfully, and he said to the minister, I don't feel Jesus. I don't get it. I'm trying, but it's not working. He left wondering, is there really any hope? A few days later, following more searching of the scriptures and prayer, this young man came to the realization he really did love Jesus in spite of the lack of an incredible experience. He seemed to have a peace that passed understanding. He knew, he knew in his heart he had found a freedom and hunger to grow in faith every day not from himself, but from the Spirit of God. He realized his life had been changed, and he wanted to spend the rest of his life working out that change 
that Jesus had started. So in conclusion, what about you and me? What does this mean to us? What do you believe and what does your conversion mean? Whether it was dramatic or gradual or you just can't remember one, does it make any difference today? Do others see what really motivates you? I think the first and perhaps most important context of this is in your home. Husbands, wives, parents, children, friends, neighbors. What do you believe? Has the fact that Jesus died for you, lives in you, and wants to be seen through you, does that make any daily difference? There's a famous biblical commentator, Matthew Henry, and he says this about this particular passage, quote, we should therefore strictly examine ourselves. And he goes on to say, quote, ignorance of the Holy Spirit is as inconsistent with a sincere profession of Christianity as ignorance of Christ is. In other words, the spirit of Jesus should always be at work in some way in our hearts and our lives. Not to beat us up and make us feel guilty, but to conform us to the image of his son. And that's what you and I should want. As a Christian, what do you want more than anything? I want to look like Jesus. I want to reflect my Savior. I'm not worthy. I'm a mess. But in my heart of hearts, I want God to be honored. Jesus, work in me. Free me to be what you want. That's the heart. You know, there are many ways to go about this, but let me just give you one in conclusion, one simple thing to do this week. I encourage you to take 10 minutes sometime this week and go read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Oh, friends, thank God for one thing he has done for you in saving you and ask him to show you how to live that out that particular day. May we be a church that is known as people who live clearly and daily the salvation given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you did not wait for us. You did not wait for us to simply feel sorry or wonder where you are. You came to us in the form of your son and in the power of your spirit. And even now, that same spirit continues to work in the hearts and lives of those who have trusted in you. Feeble and broken though we are, you have called us to look to you, to trust in you. So, Lord, as we come to your table even now, we pray that you would help us to see that this is the place we need to go because Jesus has paid it all, given us all, and by your Spirit will continue to feed us. Oh, God, bless us, for we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.